And welcome into another edition of West of Everest. Lee Benson here, as always, joined by Grant Benson. And what a game. Oklahoma dominates the scoreboard over West Virginia 59 to 20 and dominates large portions of the game. And Grant, everything's solved, right? Hey, we're good to go. OU stops the two-game losing streak, eight and two. Offense looked terrific. Defense, for the most part, looked really good. Uh, Save for the first drive and a couple of drives in the middle of the game. And you know what? Here we go. We're back to back to where we were, huh? What do you think? I mean, I thought they played well, obviously. They clearly got somebody got the memo, clearly, because they actually came out with what seemed like a real actual plan on offense and uh, took advantage of a let's be a, a bad West Virginia defense. That defense is terrible. Um, especially it's in the a bad secondary. West Virginia defense, but it's a better defense than they've seen the last couple of weeks. I mean, I, statistically and yeah, I guess they're I, all. But they actually took advantage of it. I agreed. mean, it's not like it's a good defense. It's not. They're not. But they're not like totally better than the previous three defenses that they face. Actually, I think UCF is probably the best defense of this four game stretch they faced. Because UCF is know, actually man. good, and UCF can actually cover guys one on one in the secondary. That was like that was one of the frustrating things about Kansas and Oklahoma yeah. State is that they're not capable of doing that. They're not capable of covering anybody. Um, UCF was, and West Virginia was at West Virginia in terms of pass defense was probably the worst of all four of those teams. Well, at least they they well on the scoreboard at least Dylan Gabriel took advantage of it. But yeah, yeah and they a, but that's the thing. It's like they they played two really bad defenses the two weeks prior and and were inconsistent and not good and. They finally took advantage of this one, and they they just like just like the last two games preceding this, they had pretty much whatever they wanted at any time in the game, and this in this game they finally took it and they finally grabbed it and they didn't really fart around at all, which was nice to see. <laughs> so let's uh, let's start on the offensive side, and you know, normally before. We do these podcasts on Sunday mornings. I like to try to rewatch the game. I didn't get through the whole thing, unfortunately. I didn't have enough time this morning. Didn't did not um, plan out my my morning as well as I normally do. So I only got through about the first half. And so you know, I, I'm I'm not gonna I'm kind of going by memory after uh, you know after the second quarter. And by the way, I was at the game. I had really good seats. Uh, terrific weather. Uh, great football weather. You know, like 50s. No wind really. I mean. Mid-November was perfect. It was awesome. I mean, that's, that's what you want. So uh, that, that's kind of like where I'm at. Um, offense looked really good. I thought Dylan Gabriel, you know, look at the numbers. The numbers pop off the screen. I know his QBR was terrific. He had a great night. He didn't start off. Like he, he, he started off a little kind of uneven. Like he, his very first throw of the game was a, a dirt ball to Stoops, who was wide open. Uh, and he had a couple, couple of missed throws. But for the most part, he, he played really well, obviously. I thought his running ability – First time we've seen him run that much, really. He, he did try to run a little bit against Kansas. That was the best he's looked running the ball maybe all year, definitely since Texas. I thought he looked different. Like The last time he was running a lot or trying to run against Kansas, I thought he looked slow. I thought he, he looked like he was in molasses, like in quicksand. He was spry. He was moving. He looked really good. And I think the fact that Gavin Sachuk had a pretty nice night as well opened up some lanes for Dylan Gabriel. So that was a big part of the offense, too. So I thought Dylan Gabriel overall, not surprisingly, I thought he played really well. Yeah, I did too. I thought outside of maybe the first drive or two where he maybe just looked a tad too torqued maybe a little bit because it was just, it was his accuracy. He wasn't very accurate in, in the first, maybe just even the first quarter you could say, or at least not consistently accurate. 
But then from there, he was on a heater. I mean, he was really, really good from there. There was, uh, I mean, yeah, he had he had one of the most prolific days in Oklahoma football history. He had first player ever to score eight touchdowns in a game. Yeah, I saw that stat and you know, after the game, and yeah, you know, it's funny whenever you're out, you know, you're at a game and you're watching, and I, you know, I saw that stat afterwards, and I showed my friends like, did did you realize Dylan Gabriel had eight total touchdowns? Because I it didn't, I didn't really notice that or think about. I mean. Here's the thing with like stats. I think stats in football are just not as big of a deal as other sports. Like baseball, it's like all about stats. I mean, that's like the history of the game. And uh, I don't mean basketball. Sure, I guess that's the big thing. For whatever reason, for me, football stats just aren't. They don't mean as much. So I think maybe that's why I was kind of like, oh, huh, well, there you go. Eight touchdowns. Oh, well, they won the game. That's all that matters. They won by a lot of points. So you know, good for him. He's had a good season. And, yeah, he's etching his name into the OU record book. And, I mean, he's been a nice player for the Sooners, and so good for him. Yeah, and I think, I think you can probably – you could argue that, you know, overall body of work yesterday was, was maybe his best game as a Sooner. He was just – and I'm watching it now. I got the game. I, I rewatched the entire first half. I got the game kind of playing on in the background here. And, I mean, he was really, really sharp. There's no doubt about it, especially, especially – when they were trying to get vertical and throwing the ball down the field. Th- that was the best he's looked the entire game. Um, but it was like, and, and that's kind of one of the frustrating parts about it too, is that it feels like all of the stuff that they got in this game was there in the previous two games too. And, um, and they, weren't really, they, they weren't really going for it in the previous games. Um, like the, uh, the deep shot he took kind of up the seam to Nick Anderson, I think in the second quarter. I had a great angle of that from where I was sitting and watching it back as well. I mean, great throw, great recognition of the safety moving towards the sideline that opened up the window, and he just put it right on Anderson. Good timing. By the way, Nick Anderson got to outrun the D-backs there. You got to score. Got to score in that play because that he didn't score. He got caught, and they had to settle for a field goal. Yeah, I, he, I agree. That's He got caught by by one of the best players in it. Beanie Bishop can fly. Like, that's the... Right. And so I... I guess yeah, I was I was surprised he got caught because I, I even rewatched it this morning, like on the the TV broadcast. He looks fast when he's going. It looks like he is moving really well, and then Beanie Bishop just runs him down because Beanie Bishop is really fast. So yeah, I mean, it ended up not mattering that much. Held to a field goal, and by the way, that was a, one of a drive at the end there. One of Gabriel's bad throws in the night. He he overthrew Stoops open in the end zone on second down. He just he threw it way too hard and over his head. Yeah, and that's uh, that's one area where you can't. I mean, that one was they didn't score after that because of Dylan Gabriel. That's 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 one of those like where it's just he had another instance of that too earlier in the game, but they, but I think a, a play later he was he, he ran it in himself for the touchdown. Where yeah, he missed he missed yeah, a he wide missed, open stoops twice in the game. I thought maybe I the, the one that you're talking about oh, earlier sorry, in the Stogner. game. Yes, yeah, he had a wide open Stogner in the back of the end zone and awful throw, but he ended up scoring a touchdown. Do you remember Anyways. from the spring game, he had a play exactly like that, like in the spring game, and I think it was that exact same play, where it was just like, I think he, I think it was even Stogner in the back of the end zone, and he just threw, and it was just, he could not have missed any more than he did, and it was like, that was the exact same play. You're not great, at least he found Stogner later, and uh, to make it 24-7, to and it was a throwback, Ran, it was your favorite play, a little, little under center play action to the fullback. Or, I'm sorry, play action to the tight end. I guess I guess you love the fullback one. Was that the play that they had drawn up last week in Stillwater where Colin Oliver beat uh, 
beat Walter Rouse and they sacked Dylan and but but Stogner was wide open like on the wheel like on the throwback was that that same play the Stogner did he have more than one touchdown or did he just have the one because I, I forgot he just I had mean, the one I'm just thinking of in Stillwater last week when they were down in the red zone after the long after the long Farouk catch they had the they had the throwback to Stogner set up and that was when Colin yeah, no, Oliver that, had a sack was that the same play That's yeah totally different play no totally different play no I mean that was just a the, what we saw last night was just a basic play action under center and Stogner just ran uh I guess a post up into the end zone so the one, uh, yeah, the one in Stillwater was that was totally blown up by Colin Oliver, and I'm pretty sure that maybe if a different running back was in there, that would have stuck in, maybe would have chipped him or something. That play could have worked. And that was, anyways, uh, great night all the way around. Uh, they got Stogner involved. I thought uh, there was a play early in the first quarter where Dylan did a great job of evading pressure, getting away from a sack, and then finding Stogner up the sideline for about 20 or so. And it's just kind of weird, you know, it's it's like they tried to get Stogner going. Why in this game, like, all of a sudden, let's try to get Austin Stogner going. Like, it's, I mean, it worked. I mean, he had a nice night, but it's like, I guess maybe something in the West Virginia secondary or in their defense made to where Jeff Levy thought, okay, we can, this can be an Austin Stogner game, I guess. Uh, yeah, because okay, it, like I mean, it felt like they intentionally schemed him up in this game a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it's, I mean, we're... It seems like the entire season we've been going hard in the paint talking about how just like why is he on the field if you're not really going to and this is the first game where there's like yeah maybe we could try to get him involved just like a little bit because otherwise the rest of the season it's like he's just been kind of useless. He's he's not a guy that the defense has to account for. That changed in this one, but and you know, I mean, I also noticed what I I I noticed much many more empty sets in this game, much more spreading out, a lot less shrinking of the space in the box, which is, I feel like, where they struggled this year. They didn't do that as much in this game, which is great. I mean, hopefully, that's, yeah. hope, uh, you, hope that's, you hope that is Brent Venables saying, look, listen, this is what we got to do. Because, Lee, did you also notice the running back rotation? For the first time this season, it was not weird. It was just Gavin Sachuk. That was it. We saw Tawi Walker a few times. Um, and I was just, I mean, this one, he looked, he looked way more unhealthy in this one than he did last week, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was basically just Gavin Sachuk the entire game. And then, and then when they were up by three scores, we saw Dalen Smothers, which is fine. If you're up by three scores, then you can go ahead and throw him in there. But uh, right. I was, yeah, this, this was the very first game this season where it seemed like they knew exactly what they wanted to do with the running back rotation. And so I'm just, thank you. Thank you. I get what you're saying. I'll push back slightly in the sense that I think they knew what they were wanting to do early in the year because they, they're obviously wanting to get Mar- their Marcus Major was like the guy. And they would just play him a lot. So I, I think that's what they wanted to do. And they did that a lot early in the season, even though all of us were just pulling our hair out because Marcus Major is just a, at best, average college football player. And now we're seeing they're finally getting Gavin Sawchuk involved. Oh, what a surprise. Gavin Sawchuk probably is the best running back on the team. Tawi has had a great season. He's banged up, so like if, if he gets back to health, helpfully uh, healthy, then certainly Tawi is, is very good too. Uh, but now finally we're getting Gavin Sawchuk involved. And still, like he needs to do a better job of breaking some tackles. He, he was okay. Like he, he did that some instances last night where, I mean, he uh, there was one play early in the game where he kind of got bottled up behind his own offensive lineman, bounced it outside, broke a tackle, and picked up like 22. That was a nice run. 
one of those like on the other side though he got caught from behind early in the game in the first quarter where he broke a big run but then was tripped up from behind didn't score it's like man you got to finish that playoff oklahoma ended up scoring anyways scored a touchdown but stuff like that where he just he looks so we always bring it back to the cheese it bowl he looks so much better in that cheese it bowl than he has this season he's getting there slowly he's he's looking better and better and i think a big part of that who knows if he's been unhealthy i don't know but if he gets more and more opportunities and he gets more of a feel for the game, he's going to play better. I, that, that's just he's going to because he's a talented player. And so it's nice to see him, even though there are he's still got some ways to go. I think he still, though, is the most explosive back we've seen, I think, on this roster. He's clearly the most explosive that we've seen. And it was it was obvious that he was starting to get a rhythm a little bit while you were watching this game. And I think I mean, he, he carried it over 20 times in this game. So I think that. It's probably the most most carries he's gotten in a game this year, and um, it's got to be yeah twenty two yeah. for one thirty five over six yards of carry. It's a good night. It's a good night. It's a good night. He was and he had some explosives as well. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's nice to see him look a little bit more spry in the running game. Whereas if there was space there, he he was doing quite a bit with it. And I think that's where if you if you can get Tawi healthy. That's a really good one-two punch because the thing with Tawi, the first guy never brings Tawi down. Tawi breaks a lot of tackles. Yeah, um, he just he just doesn't have that breakaway sort of tendency that Sawchuk has. So I think that's the ideal right now in the last you know two, three, hopefully four games of the season is that you can kind of get a better idea of what that one-two punch is uh, because then you can start feeling good about next year because that's your that that's your your that's your setup for next year. Set for next year, then you, you see what happens with some of these younger guys like Smothers. Uh, if they make a jump, who knows? I mean, clearly, I Javante Barnes, not not part of the offense anymore. I mean, I, I guess last week that was his last chance or something. Or they're just, maybe they're just like, you know what? We're going we're gonna to treat Gavin Sawchuk the way we treated Marcus Major for the first part of the season. And he's our guy. And, you know, if it gets to the point where they need to go to Barnes at some point, they will. But yeah, I'm with you. It's nice to see they just they stuck with a guy last night and it worked. Yes, and it worked. And so but then like going forward, right, it's you, you want to get Tawi healthy. So he's the yes. other other half of that coin. And then I don't know what's going on with Marcus Major with his. But like if you get him healthy enough, he's the number three guy. Marcus Major is a fine number three guy right now. And then you can just be like, OK, you can start mess. You can stop messing around and just say, hey, okay, these are our three guys, and you can sort of sprinkle them in every now and then. But it, it was it, it was good to see there. And outside of all of the frustration, especially, you know, the last three weeks, they have found their run game. They have. They are running the ball effectively right now. Indeed. Indeed. Let's move it over to, we talked about Dylan Gabriel. Drake Stoops, another terrific day, Grant. I mean, even better day, I think, than he had last week. Granted, he had all of his scores in the second half after Oklahoma had kind of opened up a lead, but still, he had a terrific night. 10 for 164, three touchdowns. Uh, the big one starting in the third quarter where he did a nice job of staying in bounds, and then he was able to score. He was able to outrun the secondary and then power in the last, like, six or seven yards into the end zone. Good for Drake Stoops. Uh, man, he's having a terrific year. It's almost like Drake Stoops is a really good player, like he always pretty much yeah. has been. I, um, yeah, your, your 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 thoughts about him being a an NFL player might be yeah he's an NFL closer guy. and closer he's an NFL guy yeah um 
he's just I, he's having a great season. He's having a great season. He's the now I think Nick Anderson is your most explosive receiver and is the guy, but I Drake Stoops is clearly the go-to guy right now because you know what? He, the last two games they can't cover him. They just can't like number uh it was it number 12 or number 2 who was on him a majority and I just I, Drake Stoops had that guy in a I don't even know what, what he had in the entire. He had him in hell the entire game. Just could not cover him. Yeah, he, he looked great. And man, he was he was awesome. I'll throw in. It was nice to see Jaden Gibson get a target, score a touchdown. Like I want to see him more. I will say this though: Is Jaleel Farouk kind of being phased out of the offense potentially? Because and I I think it's it's if if that's the case, probably not. I mean, they'll probably get him going somewhere, but. If if that's the case, I mean, obviously the last couple of games, Drake has gotten all like a ton of <clears throat> ton of targets, ton of catches. <clears throat> Farouk has kind of only got himself to blame. I mean, he's gotten plenty of opportunities this season, and I don't know, like he doesn't look as explosive when he gets the ball. He doesn't look like he's able to make as many people miss. And I don't, I don't know what's going on with Jalil Farouk. Only had two catches for thirty yards. Yeah, he had he had four touches for fifty nine yards though, so he was explosive. He had two carries for thirty. Oh yeah, yards. he did have a couple runs too. Okay, yeah, four touches. And I his, guess that's fair. Yeah, I mean, Nick both of his, four touches. One of his runs was an explosive, uh, ironically on a jet sweep. But the only jet sweep they ran in the game, and they they ran it after they had already had a ton of success throwing the ball down the field. Weird how that kind of opens it up yeah. a little bit. And I don't and, mind him getting jet sweeps. I think he's a guy that can turn the corner and make people miss. I mean, I'd and then he had him, a really him get it then. He had a yeah, very slick, a very slick six-yard run on a also like on a on a jet sweep where he made two guys miss in the backfield, and um, where it was just like it was it was it was about as impressive of a six-yard run as you can have. I, I thought Farouk was fine last night, but he just this didn't get a lot my of memory. Targets. Okay, this is where my memory is evading me then because I didn't get to those. It must have been later in the second quarter or in the second half because I kind of forgot about that stuff. So all right, so I'll amend my my thoughts down on Farouk. Uh, and say that it's probably just same old as usual with Julio, which is great. Let's see what else. I did want to mention, I'll uh, just throw this in there when we're talking about Austin Stogner. And there was also, you know, like finding ways to utilize him. Fourth down and five, conversion to Austin Stogner. Classic example of, dude, the guy is like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, basically just boxed out his, his defender, creates a situation where you have a big old target and it converted. It's like, yeah, that's where you can use Austin Stogner. But you got to spread him out. I mean, he's been spread out a lot all season long. And so I just wanted to bring that up. I mean, that was a good usage of Austin Stogner, where a defensive back, that's tough. I mean, like, if you box that guy out, what is he going to do? Nothing. I mean, throw in the right spot. It's easy, easy pitch and catch. And it's also, yeah, that's, that's another example of on a fourth down play, you, instead of cutting off 90% of the field and going to a predetermined spot, you spread everyone out and you give the entire field to work with. And, and that's what that was. And I think Stogner was really the only guy who was going over the middle there. Uh, but they schemed it up, and that's what you want to do. I mean, that's, that is the easiest way to be accurate on that throw, too. It's just right in front of Dylan Gabriel. And that was one of the things that I wanted to bring up last week that was frustrating was because, you know, I mean, one of the question marks about DG coming into this season, because we saw it last year, was his total inability to throw the ball over the middle of the field in the intermediary. That has not been a problem this season, like at all. In fact, he's been great doing it this year. It's just for whatever reason, they don't, 
when 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 stuff had been working, they kind of went away away from it. And who knows how much Andrew Anthony being out affected that? I don't know. I like to think that yeah. that's more of an overrated talking point. But I mean, it seemed like this was the first game since at least Texas where they actually tried to throw the ball over the middle of the field with any sort of consistency. And I mean, weird. They they scored sixty points. There was even there was one where uh, DG. Uh, he missed the throw. I mean, it was it was a tough throw, but they they targeted Stogner deep down the seam and over the middle of the field uh, in the second quarter. I think it would have been a, it would have been a really good throw to, to make the play. But I mean, just to your point, they were kind of scheming things up, and, and Dylan was taking some shots. And I mean, that was the right read. It just it would have been a really really tough throw. That was a um, so. that was when he st- that was at a time he still hadn't fully settled down yet. I think that was like a. And there, yeah, the the TV broadcast on that has a good angle. It would have been a really crafty, layered throw to get that over. Um, and he he just missed him just by by like half an inch, essentially. So as we transition over to talk about the defense, which played really well last night, Danny Stutzman returned. I'll throw this out there. So a big talking point, a big thing that we brought up in the post game podcast after Bedlam, and then a lot of other people brought it up as well, and their their post game shows was the fact that Oklahoma's defense against Oklahoma State played well enough to win, and there was you know, a, a portion of the game in the middle part of the game where OU's defense got six consecutive stops of Oklahoma State's offense. Well, you look at the drive chart of the game from last night, Grant, and early in that game, following West Virginia's opening touchdown drive, they made it 7-0, Oklahoma's defense then picked up six consecutive stops. And Oklahoma went from trailing you know the big difference though between this and bedlam where oklahoma could not take advantage of it against west virginia ou goes from trailing seven nothing to up 31 to seven during that time that's the football game that's the football game the defense does its job the defense was awesome after that first series i mean i'll go through it they score a touchdown west virginia pretty easily actually i thought on that drive which was not I rewatched it. West Virginia, they and it was it was a very scripted drive, uh, very obviously because they didn't do a whole like they were shifting a lot and and going unbalanced a lot there, and uh, yeah, I was I was concerned after the first drive because they kind of went through them like butter a little bit. They did, but Oklahoma comes out there to the offense's credit, they they answer with a touchdown, and then West Virginia goes three and out. OU comes back with a touchdown to make it fourteen seven. Then West Virginia's offense goes three and out then there's the muff punt which we were texting about in the game i, I didn't see this because i was at the game uh yeah i mean can i walk or get out of there but he did get blocked from behind so that that should be a penalty right if you you can't block a guy in the back i mean it was it was fully like it was his back was fully turned to the guy and he pushed him in but something that i did not notice when i was rewatching it this morning i didn't notice is when i was watching the game live um freeman muffs the punt before can i walk or even touches him Oh, well. And so and I did Let's not I did not realize that last night watching it live. That whole play kind of bugged me. I was and I actually looked it up. You can as as the kicking team can block players of the receiving team into the guy and it's it's not a penalty, which I I don't understand how on punt coverage that's not what you're trying to do 100% of the time if that's the case. A lot of the time, you mean the the own the receiving team players aren't going to be really around the the guy catching the ball though but and yes you can block them in but i think the issue with that though after i rewatched because i didn't see it because i was at the game 
Kanai gets he gets blocked in the back, which that's a penalty. I don't think you can, I mean you can't if he would have if Kanai would have had his face towards the the West Virginia player and was trying to block and the guy was just pushing Kanai you know face forward into Gavin uh, Gavin Freeman, then yeah, but I'm pretty sure like like again like I don't think you can ever block somebody just push somebody right in the back. Like that's always a penalty. And that's what happened on that play, and the, and the refs didn't throw the flag there. So yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to see what what would because that, I mean that makes sense, obviously. Unless if the ball's but, like still in the air, you can you can hit people in the back or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know what the rules are. The, but yeah, Freeman did muff it before Walker even touched him. But Walker running into him pretty much did seal West Virginia recovering it, though. I, I think OU probably still would have been able to recover it if if Kenai was not pushed into Freeman. But it it doesn't so matter happened. because it doesn't matter because the defense stiffened their neck, didn't allow. I think they only allowed a w- one yard in the next three plays, and then uh, and then hashtag college kickers. Fine, there you go. For, force a college kicker to make a forty-eight yard field goal, and he misses it terribly. Yep, and so there you go, and that's the thing. I mean, so the defense steps up again in a, in a sudden change, bad spot. They don't go anywhere, and they they miss a field goal, and and you know OU's no worse for the wear, and so. To back to the going drive by drive, that's since West Virginia's first series to make it seven nothing. That's three possessions for West Virginia's offense with no first downs. <laughs> now Oklahoma gets the ball back, goes down, kicks a field goal. That's the series where Nick Anderson could have scored but didn't. They stopped him, kicks a field goal, makes it seventeen to seven. West Virginia goes three and out. And actually, four and out, they turn it over on downs. Uh, great job. Short yardage by Oklahoma's defense again. Third and one. Danny Stutzman comes in there, makes a stop. Fourth down and short. The horrible play call by West Virginia. I don't understand why they didn't give Garrett Green a, a run-pass option, roll him out, make Oklahoma make a decision. They had him back there in the pocket surveying, and Oklahoma got pressure on him right away. And Kobe McKenzie was there in his zone and did a nice job. I mean, should have should have picked it off, but anyway, but, either but way, wasn't it wasn't a, a but wasn't a big deal that he didn't because he would have gotten they would have gotten him down pretty quick. They may have they yeah. may have gotten an extra yard or two from there if he would have picked it off. But that's what um, I thought too. I, go back and I, I'm curious if you go back and rewatch the game. Really was really happy with how Kobe sat down in his zone there and did not fall for the eye candy that was in front of him. Because there were three guys who crossed his face on that play, and he stayed disciplined in his zone, and he identified the right guy who was coming into his zone. It was it was it was, a, it was really nice to see. So yeah, no, I did see that when I rewatched because I was early enough in my rewatch. So I and I was trying to decide on that, uh, you know, because we were talking a couple shows ago about which linebackers look good in pass coverage and which ones are like you know I was kind of giving Canick a lot of crap. By the way, I know Canick played a little bit, but he didn't play that much from what I remember last night. I mean, it, it, the game started out with Kip Lewis and Danny Stutzman as the two linebackers and that seemed to be the case a lot of the game and then they mixed in kip and kobe together and when they were and i thought when they had when they had canic in there they were they were using him pretty effectively they were using him more like in a kenneth murray role where it was just a sea okay. ball and chase sort of role which i think for him okay. is good because when jaron canic's out there he's he's maybe the fastest player on the defense when he's out there well and put it this way like i had I stopped before the we started recording. I got my last thing I saw was Stogner's touchdown to make it twenty four seven. That was about you know seven minutes to go in the second quarter. Canick hadn't played yet. I, he hadn't even played in the game yet. That far into the game, so 
I'm kind of I, I can't remember exactly when he first came in. If it was later in the second quarter, or if it wasn't until the second half, do you remember? I, I don't remember. Oh, no, but I okay. he he played like I'm watching now. He's on the field. It's in the second. He's on the field a lot in the second half. He played a lot. Okay. All right. So but, that's back to the let's say back to the series of consecutive stops by the defense. That's now with the turnover on downs. That's now four West Virginia series in a row without even getting a first down. OU gets the ball. Austin Sogner touchdown, 24 to 7. West Virginia, another three and out. That's five consecutive West Virginia drives. Don't even get a first down. That's awesome. That is so good. Oklahoma takes advantage, gets the ball back, makes it 31 to 7. And then uh, the next series is whenever West Virginia drives all the way down. They actually move the ball for the first time since the first drive. But then Oklahoma turns them away at the goal line. Gets a stop at the one. And uh, then it's, you know, 31-7. OU doesn't score anymore the, the rest of the, the half. But anyways, that's, that's the series. Six consecutive stops, including a goal line stand. Five of, the first, five of the six, they didn't even get a first down. And that's the game. Oklahoma's offense took advantage of it. They backed up the defense. And Grant, uh, they, Oklahoma does that all season long. And obviously, they're undefeated right now. And they're thinking about the playoff. But, you know, here we are. It's one game. And exactly, and I think, uh, and it's it's going to be hard not to think about it in these terms, but yeah, it just makes it even more bittersweet. The last when you, when they flashed this ceiling, I mean, this is what they flashed in the first a, a lot of the times in the first six games of the year, where it's just like, yeah, I mean, if they play like this, they they are one of the best teams in the country, and it's just it's frustrating that uh, they haven't been able to do that. But you know what? Move on. Whatever. They got two more winnable games here. Um, it's and it's not totally out of the equation. They need some help to get to the Big Twelve Championship game, but it's not it's not the most ludicrous scenario for them to get in. They they basically just need one more game to go their way, and they need to win out. So, um, but man, yeah, it would be it'd be nice if they could have just just bowled up just one one play one play in the previous two games to make a play to win the game. But um, so it is. But Lee, I think maybe the biggest. Um, and we've talked about this last year. And, like, obviously the defense is, is so much better than it was last year. That's that's the one thing, if, if you want to point towards, like, very obvious progress of what Venables and his staff are doing, you got to look at the defense. But it's in the short yardage situations. They've been freaking nails in short yardage oh, all season long. They're absolutely, like, and this is, I don't know the stats and everything. They have to be one of the best teams in college football in short yardage. They have to be. It is... I've never felt more confident in short yardage in, I mean, decades with this defense. Oh yeah, it's and crazy. I think that's that's the number one evidence there of the strides that they've made on defense of how tough they are in short yardage. I mean, it is even last year it was walk in. It was always a walk in last year, and I mean. Ever since Lincoln Riley was here and even in the second tenure of Mike Stoops, they were so dreadful in short yardage. They never had any chance, like, whatsoever. And uh, now it's they're just nails. They're so good. I, even even when they give up, like, I know last week they, they gave up a short yardage touchdown to Ollie Gordon and everything. Even when they're giving up the touchdowns, they're making the other team make a play. It's not just walking crap. I agree. It's That's, that's it out as well. I mean, there was... Obviously, the Texas game, everyone remembers the goal line stand. But, yeah, I mean, two of the six consecutive stops last week were short yardage turnover on down scenarios where they were like, nope, sorry. And then it happens again last night. Uh, what, in the first half? 
They turn him away on two plays, down by the goal line, nothing. It's it's insane. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It, when Lincoln Riley was around and it was Mike Stoops and Ruffin McNeil and for even Alex Grinch for a lot of the time, I mean, mainly like 2018, that horrible, horrible defense. I mean, it was an automatic, no matter what, three yards against Oklahoma's defense if you wanted it, every single snap. I mean, there was, there was no chance they could ever push anybody back. And now it's – it's tough to get a yard on OU sometimes in, in short yardage. It's it's very encouraging to watch, and that's that's why. I mean, you see you see that game last night. Like, okay, good. They they came out. They not only won, they blew out a a fine whatever team. I mean, they're middle of the road Big Twelve team who started off the season pretty good and was actually playing its best football I think of the season coming into this game. So that I think that counts for something. And the defense played well, and the offense looked better. And you think, okay. Now let's let's stack it. Let's you got a bad BYU team next week who all of a sudden sucks at home now too, just like they suck on the road. They've lost three <laughs> so, consecutive games by thirty plus. Oh boy! So like, I wonder what that number. I'm sure it's probably out. What what OU's going to be favored by? That'd be and like nine, you got nineteen and a half is my is my guess. Something like that. I bet it might even be higher than that. It might be in the twenties, man. They're after the way OU played, and you're going to be kind of buying high on OU. But I mean, you're in a good spot though. I mean, they played well. Hopefully. You know, you know, obviously Jeff Levy was able to do a lot last night and uh, all the criticisms that he's gotten. Okay, good job by him. Good job by Dylan Gabriel on the offense. They can, you know, they, Oklahoma wins the next two games and finishes 10-2 and two in the regular season and is, you know, flying high into a bowl game. Then the these two really disappointing losses, Grant, are, I mean, they're still disappointing, but... It won't be, I mean, I'm saying the obvious. It's not going to be as bad, and there's still going to be kind of thoughts of like, all right, they might be on the right track here. So that's where Absolutely. we are. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I got to, they, it's, there was clear improvement across the board in this game from the last two games, and I, I think where we are, just accept where you are, and we just, we have to be happy with that right now. So, and I am. They played well last night. It was, last night, how they responded to the last two games reminded me of a Stoops team, where they... Where it's just like, oh gosh, man, are they are, are things finally coming off the tracks? It's just like a decent team coming into Norman the next week after like a you know some bad some bad moments, and then they just kind of put everything together and they just they walk the other team out of the stadium essentially, and that's that was good to see. That's the first time, you know, this was another sort of test that Venables had been presented with, and he I mean he passed it. They were they were kind of on the ropes for the season. And when they had to have it, they were able to rediscover the efficiencies and the dominance of the first half of the season. And that was very good to see. All right, so we've talked offense, we've talked defense. Another story that came out last night in the postgame press conference is that Brent Venables is there. If they can, they want to redshirt Jackson Arnold. So I, I, know, I mean, whenever the game was going you know, it was a blowout in the fourth quarter, and they took Gabriel out. Uh, who's the quarterback walks out there? It's all it's our, our, our good buddy Davis Bevel. And so my first thought was like, oh, okay, well, it looks like they're going to try to redshirt Jackson Arnold then. And then sure enough, in the postgame, that's what Venable said. So, I mean, basically at this point, Jackson Arnold's only going to play if Oklahoma needs him, if Dylan Gabriel gets injured. That's Yeah, and I would, I I would guess he's still, he's still the number two guy, I would guess, like in an emergency situation. Yes. Um, but he can, you know. And people, other people have said this today too, but he, he still can play in the bowl game. 
that doesn't count towards your eligibility for a red shirt. Oh, that's so, right. Um, so it would be nice. Yeah, it'd be nice if we saw him in a bowl game for sure. But this, I mean, this makes sense. That that does make sense. I, you know, if Jackson Arnold is as good as you hope that he is, you would hope that he's not going to be here for four full years to to think. I but know. that's with that's nil and stuff like that. I guess you know if he has like two really good years after this, and then and then he's just like yeah, whatever. And it's like. So the, Donors could be like, hey, man, come back. We'll give you a couple million dollars. Come back. Something like that. Like it, So it may not... It's maybe more realistic in the NIL era now. But I, I, I get it. I get it. It's fine. Sure. Yeah, and certainly, I mean, like, selfishly, you know, we all want to see him play more. I mean, obviously, Dylan... You know, Dylan plays like that the rest of the season. not going to matter. I mean, that's, that's terrific quarterback play in Oklahoma. Dylan Gabriel plays that way the rest of the season. Oklahoma's going to win the rest of their games. That's not... Uh, <laughs> Some, a, a crazy statement, obviously. I mean, it's one of the best games we've seen from a quarterback in a long time. And the offense kind of hums like that, especially with the schedule. I mean, at BYU, uh, Black Friday against TCU, who, to TCU's credit, pushed Texas yesterday. I saw. Uh, I'm not really sure where TCU's at, but um, I feel a lot better about that TCU game. Not going to look ahead to that because obviously BYU's next up. But one of the reasons, and we talked about it briefly on the last podcast, one of the the signs about this West Virginia game that kind of thought you know what maybe this will go well for Oklahoma is the Texas situation they lost to Texas last year in embarrassing fashion they got that revenge win over Texas all right well they lost to West Virginia well they just blew out West Virginia so maybe that's a thing with this team is like you know what we're, we're trying to kind of make up for some of the the bad losses last year TCU falls into that category I mean that was a horrible loss they got their butts kicked by TCU a season ago so you know, who knows if that's going to be on the you know, back of their minds, but they got to get through BYU first. But, man, they, they should be able to just show up and just destroy a bad BYU team who clearly is not playing good football. Well, so, I mean, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be um, – and so I'm – and it's just announced that's, that's an 11 a.m. game on ESPN next week. So it's a, um, a, a 10 a.m. local pick. Very interesting. And yeah. so I might, I might actually try to get to that game. Um, now that I know that, because that makes it, so I'm going to spend Thanksgiving week in Oklahoma, and if the game's at 11 on Saturday, that makes it more realistic for me to, I guess, like it'll leave Provo by like two and start driving towards Oklahoma. So Sunday isn't isn't too bad. Wow. Um, okay. Well, if let me know because our, our our buddy Jared, he's planning on going. So if if you oh know, yeah, no, probably be interested. that'd be awesome. You guys can maybe hook up and and uh, I don't know because he's he's still looking for tickets. Actually, he just got tickets. Last night, he said that the prices have gone down. I mean, not they've gone down quite a bit. The get in right now with fees included is about sixty bucks. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's it's actually, it's a that's very way lower than I thought. Yeah, and it's even yeah, man. There's I'm looking at tickets right now, like sixty bucks on the side of the stadium where you can see the mountains, where you're facing the mountains. So Ooh. I'm uh I'm thinking about maybe doing it. It'd be sort of crazy, but that sounds kind of fun. And but I'm curious, you know. November eighteenth game, ten a.m. kick in the mountains. Wonder what the what the weather is going to be like. You hope like as long as it's it's going to be cold. It's going to be chilly. There's yeah. There's no doubt. You just but ooh, if there's like no wind and it's clear, it could be like perfect football weather, like really crisp and so. We'll Hopefully see. It's not too cold for Dylan, the guy from Hawaii, and also played ball in Florida. Hopefully, uh, this is not too cold for him. Actually, honestly. At this point, weather is like the main thing that worries me with Dylan Gabriel. Just the Kansas game. Uh, that was kind of 
I mean, the weather was beautiful against Oklahoma State. I don't know. I mean, that, I was going to say, yeah, no, you can't like. I mean, they, yeah, they, they threw the ball. They still threw the ball a lot against Oklahoma State. Like, that wasn't the, that, that didn't seem like, where it seemed like weather was the huge, like, sort of evening factor against Kansas. Like, that scared away anything that they felt like they wanted to do. Yeah, that wasn't, obviously wasn't an issue the last two games. But, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I haven't looked at a, at a forecast yet. But, I'll, I mean, if you're in the mountains all the time, like, weather can change pretty quickly. So, um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be really easy to start thinking, yeah, this BYU team is just not playing well. I mean, Iowa State, like, from the jump, was all over BYU last night. I mean, it wasn't, Iowa State was up in that game 17 to nothing, like, five minutes into it. Yeah, I was getting notifications on my phone because I decided that uh, BYU was a good play. <laughs> and uh, I, I saw that, I got a notification, it was, Iowa State, 7 nothing, like 13.40 to go first quarter. And like a second later, it said, Iowa State, 10 nothing, like 13. It's like, oh, gosh, this is, this is not going well. Yeah, I mean, like you said, three straight. I mean, they've gotten blown out by Texas, West Virginia, and now Iowa State. And, you know, the two of those games were on the road, the Iowa State game at home. And now, I mean, there's no such thing for BYU right now to be looking ahead to anybody, let alone, I mean, Oklahoma. That's not going to be a reason why they got run by Iowa State. Uh, they're just a bad football team right now, and Oklahoma better, better take advantage of it, man. Like the one thing that gives me pause, ridiculous. Yeah. One thing that gives me pause because I watched quite a bit of that game, and and yeah, like yeah, mind yeah, you, yeah, here, yeah, you right? said you'd watch every snap. I did not watch every snap, but I watched a lot of it. Um, the guy, so Keaton Slovis did not play in this game for BYU. It was uh, BYU's backup, Jake Ratzloff, started. And, you know, he was, he was pretty dreadful throwing the football. I think he was like 10 of 27 or something like that. Didn't, um, but he moves really well, and he's, he, he gets away from pressure really easily. So I am, that's the one thing I'm looking for. I'm assuming he will start next week. And so there is a possibility that, they, that BYU throws a guy back there who is just able to run around a ton back in the pocket and buy time, which is... Um, you know, and and I know that's okay. kind of what Garrett Green was able to do, but that always scares me. That crap always scares me. Well, at least Oklahoma, you know, they'll be coming off a game where they were a, against a, a good running quarterback in Garrett Green, and they contained him. I mean, he didn't do anything last night, and so that was clearly part of Oklahoma's, I guess, emphasis. I would imagine uh, is to keep him. I mean, early in that game, there was a play like where he did like a quarterback draw, and Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma just pushed them back behind the line of scrimmage I mean for nothing I mean that was one of the stretches where they were getting you know three and outs so I was very impressed with the way the defense played against Garrett Green and his legs yeah but I mean this is not I mean there's been enough games since then to 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 definitively say this but this BYU offense absolutely is the worst offense that OU has played since the Cincinnati game there is there is absolutely no doubt of that being the case and by the way, Oklahoma coming off a game against West Virginia defensively where they held the Mountaineers under five yards per play is like 4.6. And the offense was 8.3 yards per play. Awesome. That's that's awesome. So, uh, I mean, keep it going. Keep it going. Going into BYU. And yeah, let's let's uh, let's go to nine. Also, absolutely. But like, you know, one thing that I'm I'm pretty able to definitively say too. I mean, we're talking about how much better the defense has been. You know, in short yardage and their run defense this year, for the most part, outside of maybe like two quarters of the KU game has been nails. They've been great defending the run this year. 
and um i but it's pretty obvious and i and i it kind of confirmed and i know they just won this game by 39 points you can throw on OU's defense i that is that's pretty clear to me there were there were guys who were who were very open in this game for west virginia and the only thing like and garrett green's lack of accuracy definitely aided in and West Virginia getting blown out by 39 points for sure. I agree. Yeah, they've Oklahoma's upgraded. They've gotten better at linebacker, obviously. I mean, Stutzman's made a huge jump. Kip Lewis looks great. He looked great again last night. I mean, he's he's a really good player. And even I mean, they trust Kobe McKenzie a lot. They're putting him out there. So like at linebacker, they look really good in the front on the defensive line. Like obviously, we want more havoc. We want, the, but they've been steady. They've been good. In the back end, though, Oklahoma's got to get better. I mean, Billy Bowman's a nice player, sure. Woody Washington's a nice player, sure. But right now, Kanai Walker, unfortunately, is kind of a liability at corner. Gentry Williams not being available is not great. I know I saw Makari Vickers went down. I, I don't know if he was able to come back in or if he was out for the game. I, I, maybe he got an update last night from uh, the press conference. I'm not sure. But, yeah, they're without Gentry Williams, I think they're kind of light on corner right now because Kanai is – there is a – one of the big pass plays in the first drive of the game. It just looked like he was kind of lost. And I don't know if – I think they were playing zone and he kind of got lost on going deep. And Anyways, I, so I'm, I'm with you. I think you can throw in Oklahoma. You, Alan Bowman sure did. Uh, Jason Bean sure did in bad weather. And, yeah, Garrett Green's lack of accuracy certainly helped out Oklahoma last night, I'd say. So, And it's not to say, like, they're not – and, and and I do think the biggest problem is at corner, like you know, I and they're not they're not dreadful by any stretch of the imagination. Like, whereas, no, it's not what it used to be. It's still it's still better than it used to be. It's just now the whole defense kind of stepped up. Now they got to they got to really address the secondary better. But it's like, but it is it's it's a it's a lot like a lot of college defenses to be honest with you. Where it's like obviously not everything is buttoned up, and but they do. I mean, there's guys who are getting open, especially down the seam. This season, I feel like that's been something that's been a huge thing. But I mean, that's in a lot of ways, that's a lot of college defenses. And then you just kind of have to whether or not the college quarterbacks can take advantage of it. And Garrett Green was only able to do that a handful of times in the game. Otherwise, wasn't able to. So the good thing is, is that BYU, that's, you know, they haven't really shown an ability to take advantage of stuff like that this season. Uh, TCU, probably a little bit more so, but they haven't done it with any sort of consistency. So, um, yeah, that's where that's where you want a pass rush to really come. And outside of maybe games like three through six this season, uh, the pass rush has been MIA for the most part. Other than that, I don't know how, how much you want to talk about the the day in college football, but uh, I was completely uh, – I didn't really talk much about this on the podcast, but I had convinced myself since we recorded the, the last podcast – that Oklahoma State was going to show up and actually play really well and, and run away and beat UCF, and that, that could not have been more wrong. Uh, what a frustrating setup with that game, just watching it and seeing how easily UCF was able to exploit a bad Oklahoma State defense and how Oklahoma State's offense kept shooting themselves in the foot. Dumb turnovers, luck, I mean, tip balls and stuff. And just what, a, what an awful showing by mike gundy's group in a situation where they had everything in front of them and the schedule wasn't that bad i mean ucf's not a bad team but they're not a great team and just laid a, a massive egg and i guess sure enough oklahoma state that, that was their national championship game not a very good that team. was it that's not a very good team i i like it's 
I don't know, man. I, uh, when I, I watched them live, even, uh, even beat OU, and I was like, it, and it made the game even more frustrating because it was obvious that Oklahoma State was not very good. Like, that was the... And with UCF, man, I, one thing that I felt like I was pretty confident handicapping that game was that UCF was going to take away the RPO. They were going to take away the passing game there because they did a really good job on that against OU, just manning guys up, being physical, and playing press man coverage. And OU didn't even really try to do that against Oklahoma State. And go look at Alan Bowman's numbers. He was awful. Through three picks. Clearly didn't have a lot of space to operate with. It was his UCF getting, uh, getting hands on balls. There's like, like a bunch of tip passes. Uh, and, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that counts. Ollie Gordon was, like, didn't do anything. So just a terrible day for Oklahoma State. I whiffed on that one. Uh, Kansas Bean goes down. So Kansas is down to their third-string quarterback, and they get beat by Texas Tech. We talked about how that, that line was weird. And sure enough, even, even if Bean was, was healthy, Texas Tech was up 10-0. And, I was going to say, uh, I, don't think they, was, I, don't, I don't think Kansas scored when Bean was in. They had zero points he was, when he got No, they, they didn't. He got knocked out in like the second quarter, so it was pretty early in the game. Uh, but you know, that's a weird one where Kansas ends up losing to Tech. And um, you know, I, I think we talked about you know we, you know, your favorite topic and my least favorite topic, the whole Michigan thing. And I, I was shocked that they actually did something in the season. Uh, and Harbaugh doesn't coach in the game, which I think is just outrageous. I cannot believe they they did that. Yet doesn't matter. Michigan takes care of business against Penn State. We'll see if they get some sort of injunction to stop that to where he can actually coach. I, so I guess I was I didn't see that coming on that one in that particular game. But man, it's interesting. Day. I mean, another interesting fun day in college football. You know, you were right about USC, and I kind of switched over, and you know they kind of came back and made it close against Oregon. They covered because <laughs> has a lot of points. Uh, was it Washington and Utah? It was a was a kind of a high scoring game and. Utah pushed Washington, but Washington got out of there with a win. I mean, good stuff. I mean, I mean, and Georgia, there you go. There's Georgia again. Just no problems against Ole Miss. I mean, just they are the beat the crap out of them. Yeah, I mean, we're back. They are the absolute. They're the clear favorite to win the national championship. I um, Michigan. Yeah, I mean, Michigan is Michigan's a really good team, but also they didn't throw a single pass in the game halfway through the second quarter on. <laughs> and um, I'm I mean, you're not. Michigan, you're not winning anything playing like that. I'm sorry, you can you can win the Big Ten playing like that. If if you think you can win a playoff game like that, you just it's not gonna happen. And because yep. now you watch Georgia and I mean Carson Beck is one of the weirdest looking mfers I've ever seen in my entire life, but he's clearly good. Oh, oh, he's clearly good. So like there's, um, I mean yeah, they're they're the obvious favorite to win the national title right now. So, um, which is I mean I'm even like. It's if you go look, I mean, Georgia's won a lot of games in a row to the point where and I know there's it's a long way to go, but you gotta kinda have to start thinking. The this is the closest like this is the first time really since the USC run where it feels like they might knock on the door of the forty seven game win streak a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. I think at some point though, I mean, they're obviously they're terrific. Good you know, all the credit to Kirby Smart. I you know, he's figured it out. And they're dominating that conference right now. And they're dominating other, everybody else. So you're right. I mean, they, who knows how many they're going to win in a row. I do think, though, in this, this new world of NIL and transfer portal, at some point, we're still slow. We're kind of seeing some parody kind of slowly get there. It's going to even out at some point. I know Alabama's kind of came back and they're playing better. And Alabama's kind of lurking. And everyone's going to talk about that. 
Still, though, I mean, they're not they're not the same team they are. They have been at quarterback the last couple of years. I know the defense is starting to play better, but you know that's kind of whatever. It's interesting, um, but yeah, it's Georgia's kind of there, and I'm with you, man. I <laughs> I've decided uh, the Big Ten. It's just you're right. I'm with you. Michigan's not going to win anything big playing that way. Penn State fans, I, I what's it like to be a Penn State fan? Because I was texting you guys yesterday. Penn State is. Penn State's Iowa with better talent. They have a five-star quarterback. Their offense is awful, awful. And I was, it's that's a, the you know, one of your favorite lines is the you know that's that's the big tiniest Big Ten game ever, and that's exactly what Michigan Penn State was. It's 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 two unimaginative offenses making two already good defenses look even better than they really are, and that's what we watched for really the majority of that game. Uh, Penn State is is got a great defense. It's it looks a lot better when you're playing against a whatever offense. Michigan's offense is good, but it's not anything special, I don't think. And Penn State's offense is terrible. It is awful. So, anyways, like my I just have no respect for Penn State. Michigan, they're getting their stuff figured out. Like they're a good football team. They finally played a good team and and they they won. They took care of business. Uh, but anyway, I just I love to kind of rip on <laughs> on that style of football because I just don't like it. It turns into wins a lot of the time, but it just bothers me because it's just like I just don't like watching that type of football. I don't. No, I, I don't either. It's it's, it's not. Uh, it and it it sometimes can be entertaining, especially like in 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 big time atmospheres like that where it's thought on TV that sure. game looks looks really good yesterday and and but yeah, man, it's just it's not lost on me that Michigan's about to go through this entire season and the best offense they're going to play is Ohio State. And Ohio State's offense is good. But this is also the worst Ohio State offense in like over ten years, too. Is it that? And statistically, is that bad? Like, yeah, yeah, no, they're yeah. Ohio State is like is barely in the top fifteen in the country in offense right now. Like they've yeah. been they've they've been really inconsistent at times this year, and so, um, gosh, and it's gonna be it's like for instance, like I you know, Michigan hasn't been forced to play a team like Oregon is on offense. You watched Oregon last night, and I didn't think Oregon even. Oregon at times didn't really play that well last night on offense. They were they kind of shot themselves in the foot a lot. But just like how many weapons Oregon has, like big, tall receivers who can run. And Bucky Irving is really good. Michigan hasn't played a single player this season as good as Bucky Irving that that Oregon has. And it's just I Michigan kind of got lucky in that regard, man. That's that's one of the softest schedules I've ever seen of of offenses. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we went over all the the rankings a couple shows ago it's just it's it's brutal but they took care of business i mean all you can do is play the schedule in front of you and that's the tough thing about college football man there's so many teams and everyone plays their conference games and it's just it's difficult in my opinion to really gauge how good teams are because you always play the same teams every year there's a couple of non-con games you have and and yeah it's like obviously michigan is good penn state's a good team too they got a lot of good talent but they they can't move the ball like they can't score the defense they just do – I think it, it reminds me of – like because you know, uh, Manny Diaz is the Penn State D.C., and he's just super aggressive, like tell, asks his guys to play a bunch of man and blitz a lot. And guess what? Good offenses can take advantage of that and make you pay, but they don't ever face really any good offenses that can really take advantage of it because these quarterbacks are always just so scared and they get blitzed right in like two seconds. They're, they're sacked, and it's like just – they're putting their corners on islands all the time. Just you don't have receivers that can just win one-on-one battles with corners. Nobody, anybody. 
you can't just like run a run a crossing route real quick and open up separation because although I mean they blitz almost every single play you see it on tape it's not particularly like high level defense I mean they'll they'll disguise stuff here and there of course but that's just what's so frustrating about it me it's like it's it's it can be beaten yet they play against teams that for some, some reason they just don't have the the talent to do it they don't have the quarterback play to do it shows you how valuable having two really good corners in college is because that is that is what Penn State does. They just they they leave their corners on an island the entire time, and they can do that. They're they're high. They're they're going to be high round NFL picks, and so like right. you you can do that, and then everything else is just sort of yeah, man. Just go out there. Just don't don't let their top two receivers do anything, and then everyone else in the basketball. box here will do something. It's basketball, else. Yeah. just play. Just like hey, just you got that guy. Just go play. Play one on one. And that's <laughs> like, what like and that's that's what Michigan does too. They just have like. Will Johnson is just yeah. manned up on their best receiver all, all game, which they can do that because it's there. They trust him enough and he's going to be like a top 10 pick. So it's, it'd be nice to have that. Like, I mean, man, give Brent Venables that like a, like a real shutdown corner and just, and watch the defense get even better than it already is. Yeah, man. Hopefully you get there. I will give, I will give Penn state some credit though. Just randomly. I did watch like last week against Maryland. Uh, to his brother, to what? To to, to uh, I say his name. Tala, Talia. 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 Uh, he's. He, I think he's a pretty good quarterback, and he was. He was completing a lot of. Like he was. He started the game like eighteen for eighteen or something. But a lot of it, it's all just short stuff. Like they could. They never took shots against Penn State, which. You got to take some shots. Like the reason why they're able to play such good defense because they're they're never afraid of anybody taking a shot on them. But they, they Maryland never did, and they. Like their offense was kind of capped, uh, but I guess you got to give some credit to Penn State for that because that's a good quarterback and he couldn't figure it out either. Well, at least he couldn't figure it out in chunk plays. Okay, well, I think I'm about uh, talked out at least for this particular episode. Anything else you want to add? No, not really. It's uh, just as good to get back in the uh, in the win column, and it was nice to look good doing it. Hopefully, they can keep it going because it can be a. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you can. You win these next two, you can definitely talk yourself into, it's like, okay, maybe that was just a weird three-week stretch where they didn't play well, and you just kind of have to take it with the good from this season. So that's what I'm hoping. That's what, fingers crossed, that's what it turns out, you know, to be. Look at this way. I'll end with this. I was talking to people at the tailgate yesterday, and it was more things kind of came to my mind. I remember, you know, after... I can't remember what, a couple, maybe it was last week, two weeks ago, and I was talking about how you know OU had clearly made to me at this point a three-game improvement because they started last year three and zero before they started playing poorly. They started this year six and zero, and then they started playing poorly. So it's like okay, a three-game improvement. So based off of like okay, we we've seen some improvement even though we were disappointed with the two losses. Uh, I think what last year Oklahoma they had they started three and zero. They went they then they lost the, the next three games. Right, they were three and three. And they were in danger of going under 500. And then they, they knocked off Kansas to get to four and three. So my thought was like, all right, well, that was their. They had a three game losing streak. That was their worst losing streak of the season last year. They've got a two game losing streak here this season. So surely they've improved this year. So they'll probably snap this two game streak because they won't get a three. And sure enough, they snapped the streak really relatively easily and played really well doing it. So that was good to see. Uh, that they you know they broke the losing streak no you know n- not three straight losses again like last year uh, and so good to see that oh finally we haven't even touched on this at all and who knows if anybody will hear this because it's the end of the show I must say this 
in person and watching the broadcast, those Unity uniforms are awful. I hate those uniforms. Uh, they were better in the day, daylight last year. You can't see the numbers. I couldn't just like, who the heck is that guy? So like in person, I was like, these are, I hate these. Watching the TV broadcast replay, I, I hated them even more. So that's my review of the Unity uniforms. I thought they were awful. Hope they never wear them again, but they probably will. I um I think they're a lot better than the Rough Riders. I hate the Unity thing on the back. Get rid of those. Just put their names on the back. That's stupid. It looks terrible. Um, that's that's how I feel about it. I don't I don't I don't really like alternate uniforms unless they're throwbacks. So I feel like I've made my opinions on that pretty clear. My biggest, you know, I, I think I would actually not mind them now that I think about it more precisely. If they would do away, I don't like that the numbers are red. If they would just make the numbers white with like red trim, I think I would like them more. I think I'd be like, okay, I, just, I, I can't see the numbers. And I was kind of like, who is that? Is, is that, who's the line? Is that Kip Lewis? Is that Desan McCullough? Or is it, okay, I think that's Stutzman. I, I just like, I don't know, like, who, who are these guys out there? And yeah, I agree. The, put their name on the back. But that the whole point of the unity is that everybody's, you know, team together, you know, it's so whatever. I mean, I, I get it, but like that's it. Just it looks stupid. It it looks dumb. And I thought the helmets would be a lot cooler with the lights. I don't. The helmets didn't look any different to me. Like they, they weren't like reflecting anything. It was kind of. I think they're kind of just a matte helmet. So anyway, that's uh, I, negative reviews for me on the the Unity uniforms. But they're two and zero oh in them, and the offense has scored a lot of points. <laughs> uh, scored a bunch of points against Kansas last year. Scored a bunch of points against West Virginia. So I guess in that sense, heck, maybe wear them every game if they're going to put up damn near 60 points when they play them. I think it's totally fine if you want to if, if you want those to be a one night one night home game a year uniform. I think that's that's totally fine with me. Would much rather have those than than what. The, and then, hey, this is the first year, presumably, unless unless they wear them in the next two games. First year since 2013. They haven't worn any of the, the terrible Rough Rider alternates. Well, yeah, I mean, so far, so good. But, yeah, like you said, there's two more games left for them to do it. All right, everyone. Well, hope you enjoyed the game. I'm sure you did. Good Oklahoma win. We'll be back later in the week or midweek to talk OU-BYU. So, until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also... Tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.